coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Patrick and Mark fight a stapler. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including a new Paper Mario trailer. And then on Thursday, we are going to be talking about Nintendo's E3 presentation from 2010. But Mark, in the meantime, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Patrick, can I ask you, in the um, scenario in the cold open, in which yes. you and I are fighting a stapler... Uh-huh. In this scenario, like, is one of us the Toad and one of us is, like, the Mario? Like, one of us is the companion Toad. And we don't even have to answer that. I think we should just maybe, we can just, like, put it out there for, you know, ourselves and our listeners to ponder, like, in a Mario Toad scenario, who, which Which one are you? Which of us is the Mario and which is the Toad? Yes. Boy, that that is a tough, uh, revealing, vulnerable question. And I can't believe we're posing that to our audience right <laughs> into Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. And let us know who's the Toad and who's the Mario. Um, look, at least neither of us is the Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> if you would like to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch, you can. All you got to do is write into us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com gmail. and give us a mailing address where I can send you uh, my copy. You play it for as long as you want, and then you send it back. It costs you nothing. It is the perfect borrowing program. And... Not to keep bringing this up, but is the perfect borrowing program about to be like perfect in practice, or are we waiting a little bit of time? Mm. Uh, instead of theoretically perfect, uh, it it's tough because you know there was a little bit there where it seemed like things were getting better, uh, and then it's like no, maybe things aren't getting better. We're all just pretending that they're getting better. <laughs> so I don't know what to do, Mark. <laughs> Well, what do you think? In well, I think in uh, whatever form the Sonic Borrowing Program continues on, and someday mm-hmm. it will uh, be sent <laughs> through the mail. That's a Nintendo Absolutely. Cartridge Society promise. Now, when that yes. is exactly like, who is to say? It is as much of a crapshoot as whether or not you will enjoy playing Sonic Forces, <laughs> and that feels part and parcel for the program as a whole. <laughs> Um, hey, of course, like there's no E3 this year. Wildly, last week would have been E3, um, which is like crazy to think about. But that doesn't mean that we're not celebrating E3 all month long by looking at Nintendo E3 presentations from the past. Um, this week, we are going to be looking at the 2010 E3 presentation, which I think has the 3ds reveal and also some more about skyward sword but like i this one i genuinely don't know what to expect who can remember (laughs) and then the final week is uh 2011 following up on the wii u reveal i think 
<laughs> um, also, it should be noted that uh, in honor of E3, we are, of course, recording all of our episodes this month in Los Angeles, where E3 is normally held. So that's you know just another one of the uh, programming notes uh, to let you know <laughs> that we've not forgotten about E3. That's right. Um, also, Mark, we got a question from a listener on Twitter um, it, uh, from at and extinction uh, who writes, I'm getting a switch next week with Pokemon Sword and Smash Brothers. What are some of your recommendations for? And then he lists uh, or then they list a couple uh, genres of games, including JRPG, action game, sports and leisure. Uh, there's a follow-up note here. I also own an Xbox One and PS4 and prefer to play those on the television, so Switch exclusives are preferable. Please and thanks. Mark, do you have recommendations for a JRPG, an action game, and a sports and leisure game? Well, first of all, congratulations on the Switch. Yes. That's very exciting. Um, so JRPG is a little bit tricky for me because uh, I went through like all the games that I have on my Switch just to remind myself and looking at just things that are like switch exclusives, it's a little bit harder. Cause like Octopath travelers on there. Um, I liked but what I played that... of Octopath traveler, but I yeah. didn't finish it. And I mean, that's, I... that's the story of Octopath travelers that people like what they play of it, but then they stop and there's nothing that draws you back to it. It's, it's also a on great least... 12 hours of a game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also at least on PC right now. So I didn't know if it counted, but so what I find, what I ended up coming up with is um, for JRPG, really the only one that I have on my system that I've played all the way through is Fire Emblem Three Houses, which I loved. Now, not a JRPG, but also wanted to like give an honorable mention to Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which mm -hmm. is um, also like a really fun game, and I think like fifteen bucks until uh, midnight tonight. Uh, yeah, yes, correct. Um, uh, also, a, a game that is on sale until midnight tonight, Tuesday night, um, is uh, Dragon Quest Eleven S: Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. And yes, you could have played Dragon Quest Eleven on uh, PlayStation. But the definitive edition is truly definitive. Um, it has so many quality of life improvements. If you haven't played it um, on uh, uh, on PlayStation, or even if you have, it is uh, just it's it, it is a wonderful game. Um, one of my favorite games from last year. Uh, I, I cannot sing its praises loudly enough. Um, but so those are two good answers, Mark. We gave two good answers for that one. <laughs> oh, phew! That's a huge relief. Should we quote while we're ahead, or I guess we should ac answer action game? Let's try to figure out action game. What do you think for action game? So action game, like, uh, I am curious to know what um, and Extinction, like, what in their mind an action game is, because, like, I feel like it could be anything. Um, yeah. So I, kn I know that they're getting uh, br um, Smash Brothers and Pokemon Sword, but... If you, like, obviously, you know, like, um, Breath of the Wild would be a big one. Um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, uh, like, Mario Odyssey, Link's Awakening, I don't know, like, Luigi's Mansion 3. Um, and those are all just, like, Nintendo first-party titles, because those are the ones yeah. that I was like, I know for sure this is a Switch exclusive. Like, games I really liked, like, The Messenger or, um, you know, like, Katana Zero, I, I think those are available on, like, a ton of platforms, although I would argue that they work great in handheld. 
Yeah, I mean, and Messenger for me would definitely be one of those that that I would recommend. But also, um, a Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Yeah, uh, like that, and and it is another game that is on sale until uh, uh, midnight tonight. Um, is a you know it is a, you know a strict platformer, um, but it is one of those like demanding platformers where especially if like you uh, steer yourself towards the more difficult levels, like you have to be really exacting and really specific in all of the um, choices you make there. I guess again, not technically a Switch exclusive because it was on um, the the Wii U previously, um, but a, a great game regardless. Um, and then finally, sports and leisure. So, I'm going to recommend a, a, a very recent game. Um, I'm enjoying Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. Um, I, I just really like it. Um, it's, it's so cleanly presented, and there are uh, so many games in there, and maybe like 10 of them aren't really worth your time. Um, but that still leaves 40 games that are going to be fun. To either play by yourself or with someone locally or online, um, and the game is always only forty dollars. Um, so that that one feels like a very good, um, like you just have lots of different options to it, and definitely falls into that sports and leisure category. Plus, you get piano for free. You get a piano. Does piano count as one of the games? It does not. Perfect. <laughs> it's fifty-one games plus piano. Um, so. My vote is that you go ahead and spend the 20 bucks a year to get the Nintendo Switch online because three years you're paying for a full-price game plus uh, you get access to the SNES and NES online games and Tetris 99, um, yeah. which I think is a really great deal and has lots of great like just chill-out games. Um, that's a great point. And uh, it means that you have access then to the best sports game on any Nintendo platform, which is, of course, ice hockey on the NES. <laughs> uh, a, a perfect hockey game. <laughs> um, okay, Mark, uh, let's get into what we've been playing this week. All right, so I've still been playing The Outer Worlds. I think, again, I'm not like super far into the game. I've put maybe like four more hours since last week, so 10 hours total. But I think I'm beginning to understand like like the scope of the game a little better. So last week, you know, I just finished um, Terra 2, so kind of like the first big planet that you start on. And that that's definitely like uh, a really like expansive planet um, with like different areas, but it's not like huge. Um, and then, uh, I went to like a space station, which is like, I, I don't know. Basically it seems like it's like a mix of like, uh, I'm guessing there's maybe two or three of these like Terra two type planets. Like I went to another one called, uh, Rose water, I think Rose something. And, um, that's another one like Terra two. That's like pretty big and has like a lot of area area for you to walk around in. Then I went to another one. And, like, it was fairly small and had was, like, enclosed in, like, this, like, glowing dome type thing. So, it's it does seem like the scope of the game is reasonable that I could potentially finish in maybe, like, 25 or 30 hours uh, if it, like, keeps up how it is. Everything I've said holds true for, like, the technical aspect of the game, especially in handheld. It looks, like, really bad in handheld. Oh, no. Um, on TV, it is 
fine. I've gotten used to it. It's like uh, watching a Shakespeare play where when I first start, it's like, I, 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 this doesn't make sense to me. Like I have to like immerse myself and you like get into the language. And then by the end, you're like totally rocking. And that's how that it is, is such a generous read of the <laughs> of the technology issues in the switchboard <laughs> of it's, the outer world. I mean, you're either going to like uh, get used to it and just like enjoy sure. the game for what it is, or um, you're not. And I think it's totally fair to not. Like like I said last week, I do not recommend people pick up this port. Um, I just don't think it performs well enough to warrant the sixty bucks. That being said. I since that is how I chose to buy it, I am in I am enjoying it for what it is. Um, have you been able to continue to uh, play the game the way that you want? Because I know you uh, you um, said last week that you were really weren't interested in like the combat, um, and you wanted to you know talk your way out of whatever situations or use whatever other skills um, to resolve conflicts. Are you still able to do that as you get deeper into the game? So you are to a degree, like there are definitely times where like, if you want to complete a quest, you just don't have a choice. Like you have to do the combat. Um, so like, yes and no, for the most part, like you don't have to do a ton of combat. Like I don't get into like a ton of firefights, but occasionally like I had to complete a bounty and do stuff like that. Or I chose to complete a bounty and the only way that I could do it was by actually like ex- like killing the person. Um, yeah. And so at that point, it was unavoidable. Uh, it's still not any fun, but um, what wh- it 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 is what it is. Sure. Um, we also spent some time this weekend, uh, the two of us playing Splatoon two together. So um, from going to uh, talking about a game that came out, uh, you know, last year to a game that came out several years ago at this point. Um, uh, we spent all of our time in Salmon Run, um, which is uh, continues to be a fun, stressful time. Um, I wonder what the like average clear rate for people playing Salmon Run is, because you and I maybe finished it twice, like finished the third wave, like maybe twice in the hour or so we played. Yeah, I, I would be curious too, because it, it didn't, like occasionally we were um, paired with, uh, two other people and as a group we worked really well together without like communicating um, but most of the time it didn't seem like we were dragging people down you know what I mean like it didn't, <laughs> it didn't seem like it. it's hard to know there's obviously we're not on like a global voice chat or anything so like if we are dragging someone down and they are cursing our names we'll never hear it um, but so yeah, I, and I don't think I don't think there were many times where we were like dragging down the average. I think we were always contributing. I always think we I, I think we were okay. I mean, for sure, like in that game, if I get a sniper weapon of any kind, I'm basically like uh, it's really difficult for me to contribute very well. And so I always hoped to get them early in like round one or round two. Because if I had a sniper rifle in, like, round three, like, I was basically useless. And in those cases, I 100% dragged us down. Um, It was super fun. I, uh, when when we decided to play uh, Splatoon 2, I was like, okay, cool. Let me me find the game card. So issue number one, find the game card. Uh, Issue number two, download the update. There's an update. Surprise, you haven't played this game in a year and a half, Patrick. Uh, And then surprise number three, you have to install the update. (laughs) (laughs) 
these are normal video game things that I just wasn't thinking about um, when I texted you on a whim to say, hey, do you want to play something? Uh, but I'm glad that uh, we muscled through it and uh, got to play some Splatoon 2. Uh, remains a good game. Uh, and then, as I indicated in the previous segment, I am playing Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. Um, I've been playing it some by myself, uh, in particular the Mahjong Solitaire. Um, I'm finding to be very just like relaxing and chill, and it's just about you know matching up um, shapes that are the same and like doing it in the right order so you don't. It's so it's so chill and it's so relaxing, um, and like the music is nice. Everything feels good in Fifty One uh, Worldwide Games Clubhouse Games, whatever the name of this game is. I'm gonna mess it up every time. <laughs> um, they like there there are nice like subtle vibrations with everything. The sounds are all like super satisfying when you move a tile or play a card or whatever. Um, Sarah and I played a bunch of Moncala, um, the the like first night that we were playing it together, um, which is a game that I had not uh, played in like a, this physical game that I've never played before. But now I understand like the rules of and like the strategy to it, um, and that's that's such a every single one of these games I feel like is one of those where like they tell you the rules. And then there's a point in there where it's like, you'll understand when you play a little bit and then play a little bit and then understand the rules. Um, and it always just takes that, like, I need like some kind of external motivation to be like, try this game, mess it up a couple times, and then you'll have fun. Um, and so far I've, uh, I've done that with, you know, maybe like a dozen of the games in the collection. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it. Mark, have you discovered uh, or have, first of all, have have you played any more of Clubhouse games? No, I haven't. There is a game in there called Six Ball Puzzle, which is a falling block style, like Tetris esque kind of game, where you need to uh, line up the different color balls in um, different shapes: pyramids, hexagons, uh, straight lines, and diagonal lines. Oh yeah, I, I um, played this with the with June, where you you have the three like orbs and they're yes. rotating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah and I uh, discovered that over the weekend. And, you know, we're both pretty big, like, Tetris fiends, uh, Dr. Mario fans, uh, Puyo Puyo people. <laughs> um, and so, like, when we discovered that there is a game like that in this, we were like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it's, it's very satisfying. I like it a lot. Um, and I just want to play more of it. And I want to <laughs> discover all the other, like, dumb little things like that that I don't even know are in this um, collection. Uh, it seems like the gift that keeps on giving. Um, all right, so that's what we've been playing this last week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. Tomorrow, June 17th, Pokemon Sword and Shield The Isle of Armor DLC is released. Um, did Do you have any intentions of going back to Pokemon uh, either for this DLC or not? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Me too! <laughs> uh, and then on Thursday, June 18th, Namco Museum Archives Volume 1 and Volume 2 are released. In total, it's like 21 games, 11 on Volume 1, and uh, 10 on Volume 2. From the uh, And each one includes a game that's never been like released before. 
So on vol- on volume one, there's a eight bit demastered version of Pac-Man Championship Edition, and then in volume two, um, it's a localized version of Gapless, G A P L U S, that a game that was never localized or released in the West. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I I remember messing around with the Namco Museum collections. Uh, on the PlayStation, I believe, back in the day, uh, and really liking the like actual museum functionality, like walking around a pretend museum, um, and then like you know messing around with the games for a couple minutes and realizing I don't like most of these games. <laughs> um, but is 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 there uh, is there anything like in these collections that like you're drawn to specifically, or any of these games that you, you would be excited to revisit? No, not really. I mean, I don't like we've talked about like eight bit games or like eight bit arc- arcade games, especially like uh, score attack games. Just don't do anything for me. Um, yeah. So I like these as like a historical. Um, it's the word I'm looking for. I was gonna say monument, but that's not true. But I'm gonna go with it anyways. Like. A, a monument to Namco's 8-bit arcade games. Um, but uh, no, like, otherwise, it's just not really my thing. Um, do you think that you have a distaste for score-chasing games because you were so thoroughly humiliated in our Donkey Kong 3 <laughs> contest? I mean, it didn't help. And then on Friday, June 19th, Burnout Paradise Remastered is released on the Switch. Um, uh, one of the rare EA games, and really just in general, one of the rare EA remasters. Yeah, weird. Um, and it's coming out. Um, there are also a ton, we uh, sort of alluded to it in our uh, recommendations for um, at uh, and Extinction, um, but there is a big uh, summer game sale that is happening right now um, that ends tonight, Tuesday, June 16th at midnight Pacific time, um, and it includes a bunch of Nintendo published games, which, as you well know, almost never go on sale, so uh, it would be a good time to pick those up if uh, you let any of them uh like sit because you didn't want to pay full price uh we're talking about games like astral chain box boy and box girl um captain toad treasure tracker which is less than 30 bucks um dragon quest 11 s echoes of an elusive age definitive edition is 42.99 it's normally 60 bucks it is uh, like i said one of my favorite games uh, of last year uh, if you are even remotely curious about it uh now is the time to pick it up um also dragon quest builders 2 is the the same price uh Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is $41.99. That means it's finally down below the price it was on the Wii U. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, I'm really excited. Like, I loved Doom. Bethesda has a lot of their games on sale. So Doom is $30 right now. It's half price. That's a great deal for a really fun game and not a bad port at all. Um, but like I mentioned, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle is $15, which is yeah. another incredibly good deal. Um, I am so tempted to pick up uh, Captain Toad. I have never bought it before. It's only like $28. It seems like a like the perfect time to pick it up. But there are a lot of really good deals going on. Um, time to w- what would have been E3. Uh, Nintendo usually has like a big sale like this. Um, but, you know, just like recording in LA, this, it's another reminder that, you know, we're keeping the E3 ter- torch burning. That's right. Um, and, I, you know, they, there are a lot of 
um, the sort of like second tier Nintendo games on this list, the 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 ones that like probably weren't worth 60 bucks right when they came out but are pretty good experiences nonetheless um i'm talking about games like kirby star allies like mario tennis aces like super mario party um i think all of those games are worth the 42 bucks they're asking for um and you know probably not worth the the full 60 uh but like are you know very fun experiences especially if you can pick them up a little bit cheaper which you can if you act like now (laughs) Um, all right, let's close this out. Now it's time for a regular segment on our show. It's time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So for the duration of one performance of 433... We will t- uh, not. We will talk about something not at all Nintendo related, <laughs> <laughs> thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Um, I don't even know what happened. I was still reading the copy on our show notes. <laughs> Uh, Mark, we are talking, uh, this is going to be the consequent phrase to the antecedent of last week, Um, we are talking about our reactions to the PlayStation 5 Future of Gaming event from last week, Thursday. Mark, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was like such a clear continuation of Sony's uh, strategy from the PlayStation 4 era, where it's like, yeah, if you liked, if, if you have a PlayStation 4 and you liked your PlayStation 4, like, they're just saying this is going to be more PlayStation 4, so this is the platform for you. And it's hard to argue with that message. Yeah, well, and it's also hard to argue with seeing so many big games uh, like back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back like this. Um, it was over an hour. It was mostly game reveals um, and very few, like, you know, ports or, like, uh, boring sequels. Like, all of the sequels were, like, you know interesting not all of them gran turismo 7 is another gran turismo (laughs) game you know like and i guess resident evil 8 can kind of fall in that same category um but it's uh it's interesting i I was thinking about how um the last couple years of playstation and playstation uh, events have been a little bit marred by the idea that um you know we've seen all of their big guns you know like uh the last of us and uh ghost of tsushima and Death Stranding were like the marquee titles for years, right? Um, and uh, now all of that stuff is actually coming out. Um, and for the first time, we're in a space where we don't know or didn't know what games are on uh, Sony's horizon. And now we do. And I feel like we're going to be talking about, or the games industry is going to be talking about these 37 games for the next four or five years. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, um, it, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I think it's a reflection of like where I am with gaming right now, where it's like, there just, there weren't a lot of like watching it. Like I could appreciate everything that was going on, but like, I also felt alienated from games a little bit where it's just like, man, like I personally just like, don't care about a, like a lot of what this is trying to do. And, um, I guess like I appreciate it for what it is, but like, it doesn't appeal to me personally yeah um is was there uh like a uh specific like announcement or something that you think like kind of typifies that like seemed like a big deal but you didn't uh didn't hit you at all you know uh, the one that actually is kind of like a bummer for me personally is um resident evil 8 where yeah. 
you know, like I, I haven't played Resident Evil 7, but I consider myself like a big Resident Evil fan. And um, I don't know like where the franchise is going, I think answers uh, the want or like the need for a lot of people. And so I understand why it's going there, but it just doesn't, it, it is be appealing to me less and less. I kind of miss yeah. like the um, the goofiness of it. Yeah, um, there, there there is a a, a little bit of um, a sort of smoothing over of some of uh, like PlayStation's or gaming's like weirder edges in this. Um, I, I mentioned to you the other day that it is weird to see both um, Astrobot and uh, Sackboy sort of recontextualized because um, the Astro Astrobot is a VR game or uh, two VR games, right? Or a, a VR experience and a VR game. And Sackboy is from Little Big Planet. And both of them, both of these like mascots are sort of being lifted out of their uh, quirkier, less accessible um, games and like genres and sort of just being put in uh, like 3D platformers um, to sort of, I don't know if it, it, they could be good 3D platformers, but it feels like what makes PlayStation special is the way it embraces that sort of like weirder stuff. And it feels like maybe some of this is less, just less weird, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you know, although I was excited to see a new Ratchet and Clank game. Uh, yeah. I really love Kraken Time, I think is what it's called for the PlayStation 3. And I'm really excited about a new one on PlayStation 5. That's probably the game that I left being like the most like, ooh, like that looks like a lot of fun to play, which is just where I'm at with games right now. Like um, a lot a lot of what Sony's first party titles do is like, you know, they're more about games as art or like, you know, putting games in kind of that more, ugh, for lack of a really lack of a better term, like adult framework. And it's like that yeah. just is not um, something that I'm all that interested in. Um, I believe we are contractually obligated to talk about the uh, the actual box itself, which uh, they they end the they end the conference with a uh, a, a white tower that's like mm, six and a half feet tall. I think. <laughs> so, what do you think uh, of it, Mark? I, a friend of the show, June, pointed out that it looks like an Alienware um, laptop or an Alienware like tower. And I think he totally nailed it. But, like, also, I'm kind of into it. I'm like, yeah, let's make these things super weird. Yeah. I mean, the consoles don't look weird enough, I I, I think. They're, uh, especially, like, PlayStation and Xbox, the last couple generations have just been, like, the nondescript box that goes under your uh, entertainment center. We did get the applause there for the end of uh, 433, but I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, I, yeah. I guess we'll never know for sure. Oh, yes. We were accompanied today by an ensemble at the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix, Arizona. Mark, let's get into the news. So last week, Nintendo released a new trailer um, or really like kind of informational video. It's about five minutes long about Paper Mario, the Origami King that detailed some new information about the game, including some of Mario's companions um the combat system learning a little bit more about the rotating circles to line up enemies mm -hmm. um boss fights which are uh, like photorealistic depictions of things like a case of colored pencils um a person made out of rubber bands a tape dispenser um 
And this, uh, so I, I think the, I, I would just want to jump in here um, because I really like this and I think it's funny. Um, and I saw it, I, it was like getting a little heat, uh, you know, on online for people being like, here's what the bosses looked like in Thousand Year Door. And here's what they look like now. And the bosses now are a tape dispenser. Um, but I think that's funny. I think when they did something similar in... Um, uh, color splash where it was like basically the the summons were like real world items um so like you could summon a lemon and like everything's made out of paper except for this lemon that appears and it's like a real textured lemon <laughs> <laughs> um and i i don't know i i like that stuff it makes me laugh yeah i uh you know they showed off some other stuff like hidden toads throughout the game that you're trying to find this is another one where you know uh online you saw a lot of um kind of like comparing and contrasting with you know the, the in the first two games in the franchise uh there were all there were lots of toads but they all had different like personality and different like roles and in the later games it's all just been like you're gathering like a bunch of like generic toads um yeah. and then uh so you know it's it's interesting because in the rumors before this game was revealed a lot of the talk was like oh it's a new paper mario game and it is more of a return to form and uh, I think the more we're like learning about it, the less that that is proving to be true. And by return to form, people mean like it's a, like a thousand year door, basically. Um, yeah. But at this point, yeah, we've had more games that are not like that than mm-hmm. games that are like that. So it's like, if that's what you want from Paper Mario, and it's kind of what I want from Paper Mario, it's like the Paper Mario franchise has been telling us for years that that's not what it is. Yeah. I mean, a- arguably, that's just what the like Mario RPG series is or like the Mario and Luigi series um that like that's if you want just like a straight up RPG like that's in a almost a different category Paper Mario especially in the last you know like 3 entries um have been about a Mario made out of paper right like the RPG aspects of it don't necessarily take a backseat, but like, you know, the, the primary, uh, like feature of it is that it is in a world where paper folds up and where, um, you know, you are painting things or putting stickers on stuff and like the physicality of the paper is important. Yep. And I think that's what we're going to get here. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Like the battle system seems interesting. I don't know. Like I'm cautiously optimistic um this idea of like having a time limit to turn the dials and if you can get the enemies lined up in the circle then you know like you get bonus points or whatever it's all interesting i um am i think i will probably wait for reviews on this one which is a different tune than i was singing just a couple weeks ago like i'm still excited for it but I guess I'm feeling a little bit burned from the outer worlds where it's like, well, I, maybe I want to see how this like all comes together. Sure. Um, before I like commit to it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm a, a little bit more, more positive on it. Cause it looks, it looks not dissimilar to color splash, um, which is a game that I did like while I was playing it. Um, but you know, in, in not really, uh, well, I, I tried to revisit it, um, just a couple weeks ago and was just sort of, you know, lost in the, you know, when you revisit an RPG that you haven't played in two years, uh, just sort of had, had that experience with it. Um, but it looks, uh, better than that. Um, and you know, if, if it, uh, has smoothed over what is like hyper clunky about, uh, color splashes, um, 
battle system uh, into something that's more manageable and like just contained to like the the one experience um i'm i'm probably gonna really enjoy this game hey uh what do you think is going on with ring fit adventure and uh specifically its availability at retail stores in north america yeah, the, I would say a mystery is a brewing here. It <laughs> seems like Nintendo has restocked some suppliers in some capacity, um, but without too much fanfare, or like with some fanfare. Yeah, but like, maybe I think I maybe like tell. a surprising <laughs> amount of fanfare because you know they sent a tweet and uh, you know they sent an email that's like, hey. Ring Fit Adventure is going to be back in stock. And we have seen that to be true. Um, so friend of the show, June, uh, he was able to pick up a copy, I think on maybe Amazon, but then he's been sending me links as they become available on like Best Buy. And so even today on Best Buy, I like uh, went to the page. I, it looked like it was available. I was able to add it to my cart. And then when I went to check out, um like it said oh mm, looks no like it's more. sold out yeah exactly so i think it's kind of like an nes classic edition type thing where you know they're like pulsing them out and tr trying to restock as much as possible and then maybe retailers are kind of like also pulsing it out a little bit like they're you know like making it available a little bit at a time so i guess the moral of the story is like keep your eyes peeled because it seems like ring fit adventure is getting restocked but you just have to be like really quick on the trigger yeah, it, it, and I, one thing that it, it also means is that uh, this is bringing down the uh, price that you're seeing on the secondary market. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that uh, copies of Ring Fit Adventure were reselling on uh, like Amazon and eBay for like $250, $280. Um, and I, I'm, I'm looking at... Um, I'm looking at uh, Amazon right now, and you can get new copies of it for 140 bucks. That's you know down quite a bit uh, from from where it was. I also saw some on uh, on eBay earlier today that were like 110. Um, so just having more of them out in the world has made the scarcity obviously less. Uh, so the price also kind of comes down on them. Um, so yeah, and but you know you may be able to buy it at at retail. So. Um, if you are interested in that, just uh, kind of keep your eyes open. For the first time ever, and I'm sad to report this is not a Nintendo-specific story, uh, a mainline Persona game is available on a platform that is not PlayStation. Uh, Persona 4 Golden, which was previously a PS Vita exclusive remake of um, the PS2 game Persona 4, is now available on Steam. So... Patrick, do you think that the fact that it is no longer a PlayStation exclusive, that it's available on PC, means that we may eventually see this title or another Persona title on Switch? Um, now, this is a great question. Obviously, one of my predictions for this year was that we will not see Persona 5 on <laughs> Switch this year. And I believe I amended it by saying, or ever. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it, it does, I mean, one of the reasons that made me say or ever, um, was because Atlas has this relationship with Sony as far as Persona is concerned. Uh, and you know, that's one of those like impenetrable, uh, Japanese business things that like, we'll probably never know the full details of. Um, but just knowing that Persona 4 Golden 
appears now on a platform that is not the Vita, even if it were uh, just remade or re-released for PlayStation 4 or 5 or something would be a big deal. But the fact that it's coming to Steam uh, makes me think that it might be possible oh, to get 5 on Switch. Interesting. I So I t- still believe that it will never happen. Um, yeah. But because I... So for me, I feel like what we've seen in the past few years that is new for Sony is that they're taking these games that were PlayStation exclusives and then a few years after the fact, they are making them also available on PC. And again, Persona is not, you know, like, as far as we know, officially a PlayStation exclusive, but they sure are treating it like one. Uh, including the like yeah. put it on PC years after the fact type thing. So um, the part that surprised me most about this is that it's not showing up on like PlayStation 4. Um, that it still remains yeah. a Vita exclusive. But no, I uh, I I just I I don't believe that it's going to make it over to Nintendo anytime soon. Well, and, you know, uh, anytime soon, I think, is uh, a great qualifier to put on that. What what year did uh, Persona 4 Golden come out on uh, Vita? Like 2013 or something? Oh, yeah, 11? maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe even earlier, yeah. I mean, we we're this this is a port of a port a port of a remaster of a game from over a decade ago at this point, uh, the, the original. So, like, you know, if... I I could <laughs> I could see a world where uh Persona 5 Royal comes out on Switch in like, you know, 2024 or something. <laughs> like just a, a monstrously long time from now, you know, when we're already excited about our Switch 2s or whatever it's going to be called, uh whatever comes next after Switch. Um so that I that that's sort of more in line with what I'm thinking. Again, I still think there's no way that we would see Persona 5 on Switch this year. I think you're Just right, no but but also totally like uh, forever is a long time, so n- never never say never. Then uh, th- those are the titles of your first two albums, right? Forever <laughs> right, is a long also, time and never say never. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, CNBC reported over the weekend that AT and T may be looking to sell off Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, which they estimate to be worth. $4 billion. So I just want to reiterate the craziness what's going on here is that AT&T owns amongst a ton of other things Warner yes. Brothers which or really like Time Warner which owns Warner Brothers which is you know like Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment is all a part of that. Uh, yes. So your phone provider <laughs> is also your entertainment provider. I just uh, can't stress how absolutely insane that is. Um, but they all they also have a, because they've been buying up everything. They also have a hundred billion dollars in debt, and clearly are looking for areas that they can like sell off to try to lower some of that debt. Um, which a hundred billion dollars in debt is such a huge amount of money that selling off an asset that makes money for four billion dollars feels strange but i guess it raises the question how much money is warner brothers interactive like the 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 wb studio like a stable of studios what are they actually what have they been effectively selling um for the last like decade and i think the only real answers 
are um, NetherRealm, the Mortal Kombat and Injustice studio, um, and TT Games, the Lego studio. Um, because Lego games constantly come out and people buy Lego games, they're accessible. Um, and Mortal Kombat is one of those, it's a mainstay. There's always a Mortal Kombat game on the list of best-selling games on whatever platforms. Um, and then like, you'd be tempted to say that like Rockstar, uh, is a, a, a big, a big deal, but they haven't put out a game. They put out one Batman game this generation, and that was like a launch window game, right? Like we haven't seen a game from these guys since Arkham Knight. Um, and like, you know, whatever there, there've been so many rumors about like what the next Batman game will be, what Rockstar is up to. R- yeah, go Ro- ahead, Mark. R- R- I just want to rock steady because rock steady. My bad. My bad. Yeah, no, yes. no, no. It's fine. I was, I totally believe that it could have been Rockstar because you have monolith, you have monolith soft, you have right. like, it, like there are like five developer names and they're all just, you know, like, uh, rearranging the words in that. So it, to- so I totally would have believed that it was Rockstar, but it is in fact rock steady. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had it wrong in our notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, the there have been so many rumors about Rocksteady's new game um, and uh, the, the new Batman game, uh, which could have either been coming from Rocksteady or from WB Montreal, who developed one of the other ones. Um, but like neither of those studios has produced anything uh, since the very beginning of the generation. So like, I wonder if, uh, you know, some of these things are just proving too costly um and not producing uh, enough stuff that um just fast enough even uh like monolith like you say um they did the uh shadow of games shadow of mordor and shadow shadow of war um but it's been a while since those games came out and then it's like what what it's a real what have you what have they done for me lately kind of situation i I think video games are just a hard business to dabble in um totally and so, you know, like we've seen Disney get in and out of video games like a bunch over the past 20 years. And uh, we saw like Uni- Universal when they were part of Endevi, like kind of doing the same. And yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think it's like it's really it costs a lot of money. It's very time consuming. And, you know, Warner Brothers for as, you know, having those games and those franchises that you talked about, like, I don't think of them as that big of a publisher. And so... I don't know, but on the other hand, you know, the um according to CNBC, potential interested parties are like the names we all know, like Take Two, EA, Activision Blizzard. And so you're also like, oh good, just like more consolidation. Yeah, yes. Um and it is it's weird though, because like those studios do make good games, right? Like Rocksteady makes good Arkham games. Uh, the Middle Earth games are well received. Nether Realm, you know, like I said, and the TT games, the Lego games, um, they're all good games. But like, what are they without the Warner Brothers IP, right? Like, what? I'm sure Rocksteady could make a great game, but if they make a great game without Batman, is it still? Like, are they still valued the same way? And I understand, like, they could still, um, you know, license out uh, Warner Brothers as a greater entity, could still license out their IP to either these studios or to other studios. And maybe that would even be a condition of selling them is that, like, you know, they have uh, right of first refusal, for, you know, for five years or 10 years or some exclusivity window of uh, using the Warner Brothers IP. Um Harry Potter's in that, you know, like uh, there, there's so much uh, Warner Brothers sits on so much um, amazing, sellable, bankable IP um, that like it, 
I mean, I, I guess uh, to to draw the comparison to Disney, um, Disney sits on the uh, a similar or even larger uh, pool of IP. In fact, definitely larger. Um, but they don't make the games themselves; they just license it out. Uh, so may, maybe that is what uh, the model that AT and T is trying to emulate here. Yeah, it'll. It, it, I will be. You know, this kind of stuff always fascinates me, like this part of like the business side of it. And so I will be really interested to see what they end up doing here. Because, you know, like all of this is so cyclical that I can totally see them getting out of it like in the next few years. And then five years from now, they're like, we're going to get back into games, you know? <laughs> yeah. And trying to buy up studios again. Right. Um, Netherrealm is also a, a weird and interesting one to me because it feels like they netherrealm and you know like midway before them uh you know like existed as entities on their own and then like were either purchased by uh by warner brothers and then like just sort of incorporated the warner brothers identity into their own thing switching off between mortal Kombat and injustice um which has been their release schedule uh you know since like mortal Kombat 9 right that they would do one Mortal Kombat, one DC fighter, and then just like go back and forth. I expect whatever the next game they make will be an Injustice game, right? Um, and that like, what could NetherRealm just like buy themselves out and be like, you know what, we're just our own thing. We'll just do, uh, we'll just do Mortal Kombat from now until forever, and people will keep buying it. Uh, and if you want us to make an Injustice game, like, y- you got to pay us to do it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you bring up a really good point in that. This Warner Brothers Interactive, um, it feels like an old school publisher. It feels like it's operating as a publisher from like 20 years ago and not the way that a Take-Two or an EA or an Activision Blizzard work anymore. Like This really feels like independent studios that are just being published by Warner Brothers Interactive. It's not like an yeah. EA where it's like, we have studios in all over the world that are all contributing to this one game. Or like the franchises are being managed at a much higher level, and then the studios are just contributing to this like larger engine. Um, this feels very much where it's just like, yeah, like these are just studios that clearly have some synergy with Warner Brothers, but are just kind of doing their own thing. And it doesn't feel, and I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like somebody from TT Games is also contributing to Rocksteady's games or like NetherRealm is doing work on you know the next batman game they really do from what i've seen like feel like separate entities yeah it is interesting though because like a while back and again this is uh sort of you know tracing to the last time that like a batman game came out um but like uh wb montreal was making arkham origins uh which came out like a year ish before um arkham knight which was the rocksteady game and then there was that uh escape from blackwater or the the other batman game which was made by wb boston um like that they were all dealing with you know, probably that's a lot true. of the same assets yeah, and true. definitely like ideas and like there must have been crossover in like the writing teams and all of that. Um, but uh, that's a long time ago now. And, uh, f- you know, for better, for worse, every time that they collect the Arkham games, they leave Origins and uh, Blackgate off of that, off of those compilations. Yeah. So like uh, it, it seems like at one point they maybe did have some sort of synergy going between them. And I wonder if it's just been a problem of management at the Warner brothers, interactive entertainment level um, that like had the studios stop coordinating with each other. Um, and have, like, there, there must be something uh, 
and maybe it is just that we've not seen games from a lot of these studios in a while. Um, but I feel like something beyond that that has made uh, the interactive entertainment like label uh, not profitable or not as profitable as they want it to be. Is there more The World Ends With You content coming in the near future? Maybe. Um, Square Enix filed... Always maybe. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get us to commit. Uh, Square Enix filed a new The World Ends With You trademark in Japan on June 1st. Trademark filings don't, you know, like always indicate that something is in development. But also art assets from The World Ends With You appear in the key art for Anime Expo Light 2020. So it seems like there is something in the works. Um, and I think that the, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if, if you remember, like that the Switch port of The World Ends With You kind of like added a little bit of something at the end that could hint at like the continuation of the franchise. Yeah, right? I don't know. I mean, it, they definitely added like a, a chapter at the end of it. Um, I do not know what the content of that is. Um, but yeah, those things always like leave the door open for, uh, you know, the, the next whatever. Um, and also like they could just make a sequel to the world ends with you. Like that would be fine. There could also be like an anime, you know, like it, yeah, th- that's this, a, this or could a mobile be game. Yes. <laughs> Another mobile game. Um, and then IGN has hands-on impressions of the Pokemon Sword Shield DLC that's coming out this week, uh, Isle of Armor. And they were able to get detail um, that we haven't really seen before. The new areas from the DLC will scale to the player's Pokemon's levels, meaning anyone should be able to enjoy the new content, whether like you're still working your way through the story or you've got a team of like level 100 Pokemon and you're totally into the competitive uh, scene. It's not like you go, you'll go into the area and every everything is just like level forty five or something like that, right? Which um is sort of is is nice. Uh, obviously, like the game has been in people's hands for six seven months now, um, and you know people will be entering the DLC at totally different levels, um, and even. I don't know about you, Mark. You ever have the experience where you played a game and then like DLC came out and you go back to revisit it. And even though you're all powered up, you're all leveled up, uh, you simply don't remember how to play the game. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, and Pokemon's a little bit more low stress than that. You don't really, you know, uh, I, I, I can forget how to do all of the like moves and combos in the new, in, uh, you know, a Batman game. Um, but in Pokemon, you just are selecting things from a menu. Easy, easier to jump back in. But I'm glad that this uh, allows for people at, at different places in the game to uh, enjoy it. Yeah, totally. Uh, not like RPG related, but the last time that I remember like that really, really happening to me was when the uh, Breath of the Wild DLC came out. And yes. especially the Champions Ballad especially, because that was like a while after I had put the game down. And then uh, trying to like jump right back into it when I was supposed to be like highly skilled. And I had ever, you know, like all the, un- everything unlocked, like all the options unlocked. Um, yeah. And I was loaded up with different bows and like all this kind of stuff. It was like just remembering how to like toggle through everything and like, uh select which bomb you want to use and all that kind of stuff was like such a struggle at the beginning 
Well, and also, uh, it's got that, uh, the top button is jump. It's the only <laughs> game in the world where that top button makes you jump. Um, and, you know, it's something that we all got used to while playing Breath of the Wild. But then as soon as you put it down and you play any other game where the jump button is in a much more reasonable place, um, then you, you forget. You forget <laughs> how to do it. Uh, finally, last week, some Google Stadia users were able to access the E3 2019 build of Ubisoft's uh, new IP, Gods and Monsters, that they revealed at uh, E3 last year. In response to this mistake, the game's executive producer, Mark Alexis uh, Cote, told Kotaku, quote, our vision for the game formerly known as Gods and Monsters has evolved in surprising ways, which is common when developing exciting new worlds. This footage is from our E3 2019 demo, which was shown to select press last June and is now over one year old. Much has changed since then in terms of features, tone, art, and character design, and even the name of the game. We are hard at work and very excited to finally show players what we have created at the end of summer. Okay, uh, so we got a sneak peek uh, at a game that does not exist anymore and will never be released in that form. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing to have happen that someone would just flip a switch or upload the wrong file to Google Stadia uh, and suddenly this playable form of this game that doesn't exist it's just in people's homes. Yeah, it is super weird. It's also a good reminder that Gods and Monsters is, or a game that at one point was called Gods and Monsters, is a thing. Because um, I remember when it was revealed at E3 last year, it's like so wild. Like it was just, it was just so surprising to see a company like Ubisoft like taking this shot at something. And uh, I also think it's interesting that just like kind of like the history of Ubisoft's. Um, games like this where like you know in the past i can't remember what zombie you started at, out as but it was like i can't remember the title but it was like some like kind of like zany sci-fi like 50s feeling you know zombie a my neighbors type stuff and then eventually turns into yeah. zombie you so it'll be really interesting to see what gods and monsters turns into even though i wasn't like particularly excited for gods and monsters in the first place um also i'm a little bit sad that this game uh will no longer raise awareness of the 1998 film uh, named Gods and Monsters about uh, famed film director James Whale, who directed, like, Frankenstein, uh, amongst others. Because, like, that's a really good movie, and people just won't be accidentally Googling it anymore. That's uh, that's the Ian McKellen, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good cast. Those are <laughs> That's a good cast. It's a good cast. <laughs> um, uh, I I just wanted to circle back to the thing you were saying about like Ubisoft, uh, for a second that like they do, uh, like their projects do seem to like evolve and change. Um, but they'll also like just sunset stuff too. Um, there's that uh, was it called Skull and Bones? It was a a pirate uh, yeah, totally. a pirate ship game, um, that I played at E3, um, two years ago, uh, and I still have a, a T-shirt from my from my <laughs> gameplay experience there, uh, and I love the shirt because it's got cool pirate stuff on it. Uh, but I love it even more because it now represents a game that is probably never going to come out. <laughs> it has been a while since we heard of we've heard about it. Maybe it'll come out eventually. I don't think they've officially said the Skull and Bones is canceled, but but who knows I, what it, what I, it like turned into. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it could be anything else by now, and when it comes out with a different name, we won't even know that it was Skull and Bones. <laughs> right. All right, Mark, let's get out of the news. 
All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can share it wherever you share stuff, uh, Facebook or Twitter. It helps us out a bunch. Um, on Twitter, you should follow us. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.